The following audio is from the Ridge Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. For more information about Ridge Church, please visit ridgechurch.cc. We hope you enjoy this message from the Ridge. Well, how are we doing, Ridge Church? Awesome. <laughs> hey, my name is Bobby. I am uh, one of the pastors here at the Ridge. We're so glad uh, you're with us here today. Thank you for, uh, for coming out and spending uh, part of your Sunday morning slash afternoon with us uh, here at the Ridge today. Uh, we are in a series called Five Lies of the Devil, and we've been talking about these different lies that uh, the devil would actually really love for us to believe, and there's various reasons why he would love for us to believe uh, these lies as we work our way through them. Uh, but today we're on lie number four. If you've not had a chance to catch up on uh, the others, we encourage you to go to ridgechurch.cc. Just click on Listen to Messages, and uh, you can get caught up there if you want to catch up on those, or you can always find us on iTunes as well. Let me, uh, let me set today's message up like this, a little story about when I was in high school. I had a, uh, had a friend of mine that uh, would pick me up every single day uh, before I turned 16, before I could drive myself, and so uh, he could drive, and so he would come, and he would pick me up and, and take me to school, you know, and then we'd ride home together um, most days. And so uh, I remember one day he, he picked me up, and we're riding on our way to school that morning. And I look over at his uh, dashboard, and I notice on his dashboard that he, his uh, check oil light had come on. And it, but it, it, it wasn't that I noticed that it had just come on. Like, I noticed that it was, it was on, on. Like, it had obviously been on for a little while. Because I asked him this question. I said, hey, did you know that your check oil light was on? And he said, well, yeah, it's been on for a while. I was like, well, how long is for a while? And he said, oh, I don't know. It's just been on for a while. I was like, oh, okay. Well, that's kind of bad. He's like, no, 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 you don't need to worry about it. It's no big deal. <laughs> all right, sure. So, uh, you know, I, I was like, all right, it's no big deal. You know, I, I couldn't drive yet. I didn't know if it was really that big of a deal or not. But apparently it was a really big deal because about five minutes later, it became a really big deal when the car began to smoke and it seized up and crunched and cracked and, you know, all that stuff. And we pulled over on the side of the road because apparently not having oil in your car is a big deal. I don't know if you knew that or not, but... It is a really big deal, and so we found out that that actually was a big deal. Now, all of us in this room have probably said that phrase before, right? We've all said that. Hey, it's, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. And I, I don't know if you're like me or not, but I'm, like, I try to be really laid back. I try not to let things throw me off my schedule too much. Like, even when it does, I try to be really laid back and say, well, you know what? It's not a big deal. No, it's all right. You know, hey, it's, it's cool. It's okay. It's no big deal. And so I try to be a really laid back person. And I don't know if you're like that or not. But what inevitably happens almost every single time that I say something is not a big deal, it almost always becomes a big deal, doesn't it? I don't, is anybody, that, anybody else just me? Okay. All right. Two of us. So, all right. Anyway, so bad illustration. Well, anyway, it, it, it does. If you'll, if you'll take a step back for a moment, you'll, you'll know this, that Sometimes things that we think to ourselves are not a big deal become actually a really big deal. And here's the thing. Maybe it's not a big deal to you. If you are married, you know this to be true. It may not be a big deal to you, but it will be a big deal to somebody else, right? Right? And so sometimes we look at things and we say, hey, you know what? It's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. But it almost always becomes a big deal. Now, today's lie that we're talking about centers around this phrase. It's no big deal. 
It's no big deal. You see, because the devil would love to take this lie that it's, that it's no big deal, and he attaches it to all sorts of things that every one of us in this room has dealt with at some point in time. For example, he'll say to us, hey, you know what? It's no big deal. It's just a little sin. It's just a little sin. It only happened that one time. You only, like, you'll never have to worry about that again. It'll never happen again. It's no big deal. Don't worry about it, Right? Or he'll say something to us, you know, like, hey, it's no big deal. Listen, you've been a Christian for a long time. You've done a lot of good stuff. You've given a lot of money. You've taught a lot of classes. You've read a lot of verses. You've been to a lot of churches, and you've been to a lot of church services. It's no big deal. It's okay for you to be apathetic and complacent. You deserve it because you've worked for it. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. But I see, I think that not only does he attach it to things like that, the thing that I want to talk about today, the lie that I want to talk about today, that that phrase gets attached to the most, it's no big deal, is this. That it's not okay for you to not be okay. It's not okay for you to not be okay. Why? Because it's no big deal. It's no big deal. You, you, you just need to, to chill out a little bit. You need to step back for a moment because it'll take care of itself. The, the struggle that you're going through, the thing that you're experiencing, the, the hard time, the financial struggles, the marriage struggles, the relationship struggles, the, the sin struggles, the relapse struggles, all of those things, you know what? You just need to chill out. It's no big deal. It's no big deal because you don't need to let somebody else know what your big deal is. It's not okay for you to not be okay. And I believe, that, I believe that the devil would love for us to believe that lie because if we will believe the lie that it's not okay for us to not be okay, then what we inevitably do, what we tend to believe is not a big deal, becomes such a big deal that instead of running to God, we run away from God. Instead of running to God, we run away from God. It's easy for us to hide. You see, the, the, one of the problems in the church, not just this church, it, it can be a problem in this church, but it's not just this church. I think it's just church in general is that we have maybe mostly unintentionally communicated this lie that when you become a Christian, you need to act like you've got it all together, that you need to act like you've been there before. That you need to act like that, that, you know what, Jesus told us not to worry. And so what you need to do is you need to strap on that face, you need to fake it until you make it, and you need to not worry. You need to act like you've been there before. You need to act like everything's okay. Think in some ways, and again, maybe it's been completely unintentional, but I, I think that, with, that we do this so well, like we do it so well that we don't even know that we're doing it anymore. Some of us did it today, didn't we? You're not okay. But when you pulled into this parking lot, all of a sudden you became okay, right? Hey, how's it going today? Oh, I'm good. I'm, I'm so good. Like, I'm awesome. Praise the Lord, I'm so good, right? And then you turn around and you're like, oh, I'm not okay, right? And like, you're just like, you're not okay. We've gotten really good at this. But I, I think that the, the church has taught us to, to act this way sometimes, because the minute that we admit that we're not okay, well, then we become somebody's project, don't we? 
right? And nobody wants to be somebody's project, do they, right? Or, or we, we admit that we're not okay. We admit that we're struggling. We admit that things may be potentially falling, falling apart in our lives. And now all of a sudden we face the fear of condemnation, the fear of guilt, the fear of what other people will say and think about us. You become somebody's prayer request that is actually just gossip. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, we need to pray for Bill. We need to pray for Bill. Because let me tell you what Bill did. Right? <laughs> and prayer request becomes gossip, right? And so we don't want that. And so, we, this is, so that's what we do is we say, you know what? Can't let them know I'm, I'm not okay. Because I don't want that. Can't let them know that I'm not okay. There's some good news around this. There's some good news around this. Because, because we fear of being found out. Uh, first of all, let me say this. Nothing, nothing will make us feel more lonely than hiding our secrets. Nothing will make us feel more lonely than hiding our secrets. But the good news around this is that you and I are not the only ones to, to experience this ever. In fact, this has been going on since the beginning of time. It's been going on since almost the beginning of time, since Adam and Eve were first walking the earth. And so if you have a Bible, open it up to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is first book in the Bible, and uh, in the Old Testament. And you can follow along on the screen back behind me uh, as well, or, or fire up your uh, smartphone device. Oh, by the way, let me say this real quick before we jump into the scripture. You have one of these envelopes in front of you there somewhere, this yellow envelope. Uh, go ahead and grab that and hold on to it. It says Rich Church Dollar Club Gift. And so this is where you're going to uh, put your dollar club offering today, and I'll explain what that is in just a few moments, but uh, hold on to that, and we'll talk about that in just a few moments. But Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 6, I'm going to read a couple of verses here, and this is the beginning of the fall. This is how the fall happened. This is how humanity became broken. This is how you and I became born sinners, is because of what takes place right here. You see, God puts Adam and Eve, puts them into this perfect place, this perfect place called Eden. First man and woman, right? He takes them and he creates everything, and everything that he creates, he says, it's not, or he says, it's good. It's good. And so then he takes Adam, and he notices that Adam is alone, and so he says, it's not good that he's alone, so I'm going to give him a helper, and so he gives him Eve, and he puts them into this perfect place. And then he says this, he says, hey, everything in here is yours. It's all yours. Like you get, to, you get to enjoy all of it. But there's one thing. There's this tree back here. It's kind of at the center of the garden back here. And it's really amazing. Don't touch it. Like you can have anything else. You can do anything else. Like don't touch. I'm even going to let you name the animals. That'll be fun. So like have fun with that. Platypus right there. All right, so like it's just like. That's yours. You get to do that. But the one thing, the one thing that I don't want you to do is I don't want you to touch that tree. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. You see, right before this, a serpent, Satan, the devil himself, comes along and is like, hey, look at this tree. It's awesome, isn't it? 
You see this? You want that, don't you? I know you want it because, I mean, look at it. It's amazing. And let me tell you how good that fruit is going to taste. You're going to want to eat some of that. And she does. And not only does she, and we'll see this in a minute, it wasn't just Eve's fault. Like Adam stood by and watched. And he ate himself too. Look at what happens next, verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Now, you have to understand this. They had been naked the whole time. Like, I mean, they were, just, they were just there. It was just them, right? And it was no big deal. But now, all of a sudden, because this brokenness has happened, this uh, uh, sin has now entered because they, bro- they were disobedient to God, and so therefore they sinned against God. And so therefore, that is what has made all of us sinners ourselves. And so this brokenness happens, and now all of a sudden they're feeling guilt. They're feeling shameful. They're feeling this condemnation. And so because of this, now they're hiding, not only in front of themselves, but they're also hiding from God. Listen to what happens next. Verse 9, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, I love this, where are you? God knew where they were at. Just kind of playing with them. He wanted them to confess. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. He's like, it's her fault. We've been doing it ever since, right? Like, I mean, just bam, all her fault, right? Eve ain't going down with the fight, though. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, not my fault serpent's fault the serpent deceived me and i ate blame shifting right and so their eyes opened to the guilt and shame and they responded by hiding it and isn't that how it seems to happen to us can't let them see us struggle can't let them see us sweat we can't admit that we're not okay because that not be okay good friend of mine he doesn't live here anymore, but when he comes into town, we always go hiking, and um, we love to hike. We love to do, uh, we, we call it uh, man stuff. It's like, we're going to go conquer a mountain, because that's what men do, right? So anyway, maybe you do it too, ladies. I don't know, but like, that's manly things, right? So we go conquer mountains when he comes into town. And so we, uh, we go hiking, and uh, on one particular hiking trip a couple of years ago, he comes in, and we were like, you know what? We're going to do this trail that we've kind of always done. It's got this really uh, just wicked ascent up to the top of this mountain. It's going to be pretty rough, but let's make it a little more interesting. Let's take a different trail to get to that trail, and then we'll hike up that trail Forgetting the fact that we were going to have to come back the same way, right? Like that was the whole thing. And so we do that. And so we descend down this mountain. The trail starts out at the top of the mountain. We descend down uh, several thousand feet in elevation down this mountain. We get to the trailhead of the next trail and we ascend up to the top of the mountain. We get up there, do our thing, come back down, and then we begin to go back up this other mountain. And so as we're coming back up this mountain, by this point, I'm about done 
right? Like, I'm just like, I, I, I can't take much more of it. I had had a knee injury uh, playing basketball a couple of years before that, and so I'm looking down at my knee, my left knee, and I'm looking at it, and it, I can, it's swelling already. Like, it's already beginning to swell up, and I can tell, and it's really hurting really, really, really bad. And so we're walking up this mountain, and he's a little bit further ahead of me, and he just keeps getting further and further ahead of me. And he would turn around every few moments and kind of look at me and be like, hey, man, are, are you okay? And my response was the same every time. Yeah, man, I'm good. I'm good. Let's, I'm just slowing down a little bit. I'm, all, I'm, all right. I'm good. You know, couldn't let him see that I wasn't okay. And so the moment that he would turn around, I'd just be like, oh, I'm not good. Oh, that hurts. Right? And just be like, and then he'd turn around and be like, no, I'm good. You know, hop back up and be like, good to go. Well, so this happened for, I mean, for a couple of hours until finally I just could not take it any longer. Like I just, could, I had, I gave up. I sat down in the middle of the trail. I'm just sitting there and I'm just like, you're going to have to carry me out. Like I just can't, I can't even, right? Like it's just not going to happen. And luckily we were about 50 yards away from the trailhead. And so we were close enough where I didn't have to lose all of my dignity and, you know, I could walk out on my own, right? But isn't that how, isn't that how it works for us sometimes? Is that we're dying. We're hurting. We're struggling. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. You're not good. I'm not good. We're struggling. We're hurting. We're having financial troubles. We're having marriage troubles. We're having relationship issues. Maybe we're relapsing on an addiction, or maybe we just continue to stay in this same cycle of the same sins over and over and over and over again. But the minute somebody asks us if we're okay, no, 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 I'm good. I'm good. It's no big deal. It'll work itself out. Just need a little bit of time. Time heals everything or destroys everything. I think what happens for us is that we just don't want it to be someone else's big deal, right? It's a big deal to us, but we don't want it to be somebody else's big deal. And in reality, this is our version of the fig leaf because we've believed the lie that our struggle isn't a big deal deal but here's here's some great news God's plan from the very beginning from right here at Genesis 3 to today and beyond his plan has been to redeem us and to restore us and even though we are not okay his plan is for us to be okay listen in him in him there's a guy in scripture we've actually been reading through the Psalms for uh, over a year now we're, we were up to what Psalm 34 today right well, uh, the Psalms are, are really about a lot of them are about this guy named David and, and David uh, was a guy who uh, was one of the greatest kings that the nation of Israel had ever seen and he had a lot of great successes but he also had some really messed up stuff too. He was a guy of great success, but he was a guy who also had some struggles. And as we read through the Psalms, some of the Psalms that we read are things that that he wrote about his struggles, about saying that, that he was ready to give up, even at times where he was saying, I would rather die than have to continue to go through with this. Some of us have felt that way. And so the Psalms are his confessions, not only of his struggles, but also some of his victories. And how the Lord redeemed him and helped him. Um, at one point, David, and, and maybe you're familiar with this story, but at one point, David, uh, who is this great king, he's up on his roof and he's kind of just hanging out one 
afternoon, and he looks down, and he happens to see this woman named Bathsheba. She's taking a bath, and he sees her down there, and he's like, hey, that, that's awesome. Uh, come up here, right? And so, like, he has an affair with this woman, okay? Has an affair with this woman. She's married to one of his commanders in his army. Turns out she becomes pregnant, and so now he's got to hide everything. And so he takes a commander in his army who is her husband, and he sends him to the front of the battle lines in hopes that he will be killed. And he is. He's killed. So now not only has he committed adultery and had this affair, but now he has also murdered a man. And you guys just thought the Bible was rainbows and unicorns, right? It's some pretty jacked up stuff in here. You should read it sometime. But it's, it's, really, it's really crazy. And so, like, like, this is exactly what happens. But then he gets found out. He gets found out. And through this, what he discovers is the healing that comes with saying, you know what, my junk is a big deal and it's okay to not be okay because I know that God will not leave me there. Did you know that? It's okay for you to not be okay. It's okay for you to not be okay because here's the truth. You don't want to stay there, do you? If you're not okay, you don't want to stay there. You don't want to stay there. God doesn't want to leave you there and he won't. And we don't want you to stay there. Not because we want you to just be okay, because, but because we want you to experience healing and redemption and rescue. L- listen to this, Psalm 32. This is a part of David's confession about how the Lord rescues him and, and heals him. Psalm 32, starting in verse 1, says this, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And in other words, he says, blessed is the man who uh, the Lord counts nothing against him, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. In other words, he's saying, I confess to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. And I love verse 7. It says, you, talking about God, you are a hiding place for, for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. In other words, he says, we celebrate. So there's a couple of things here that are really important for us. First of all, in the second verse, he says, blessed is the one who confesses and repents. That word repent means that we're going to turn away from and we're going to turn to. It says that we're blessed. The one who, who doesn't hide is blessed. There's a blessing that comes with confession and repentance and forgiveness. You see, confession isn't doing something about our sin. It's admitting that we can't do anything about it ourselves. That it is such a big deal that we can't tackle it on our own. And then in the third one, he says that, he says, when I hid, my bones wasted away. It ate me away from the inside out. Now think about the weight of this for a moment. Think about the weight of this. If you had a terminal disease but you were the only one that knew about it. Somehow, some way, you were the only one that knew about this terminal disease. 
I'm guessing that most of us wouldn't keep that to ourselves. Like we would actually go to a person who could help us with that, would we not? Like we, would, we wouldn't just hold it in for ourselves and say, you know what, I got this. I got, I got this. This is all me. I'm going to do this on my own. No, we would go to who could help us. That's exactly what David is saying. He's saying, I said, I, I tried to keep this on the inside. I tried to act like that I was okay, but in reality, I was not okay. It actually was a big deal because it was killing me on the inside. And so I confessed it to him. And here's the other thing. Let me just say this. I think so many of us are so afraid of confession. We're afraid of being found out. But the truth is, God is not going to be shocked by your confession. He is completely and totally aware already. He's just waiting for you to admit it. You're not going to shock him. You're not going to surprise him. When you say that you struggle, when you say that you hurt, when you say that you're not okay, God's not going to look down and be like, what just happened? Like, I, how'd you get there, right? That's not, that's not going to happen. David said, as long as I kept it inside, I felt like I was dying. And some of us know what that feels like all too well because it's our life right now. The silence, the faking it, that everything is okay is killing us. One of the, the many, many, many things that I love about our recovery groups that meet here on Tuesday nights. We have recovery groups that meet here on Tuesday nights, by the way, 7 o'clock. Right? 7 o'clock. Recovery groups meet here on Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock. One of the many things that I love about our recovery groups and our recovery ministry that, that meets here is that, um, that everybody who's coming through the doors is coming through the doors with a big sign over their head that says, I'm not okay. And everybody who sees that person walking through the doors goes, it's okay that you're not okay. And there's a celebration that happens around that when people bring their mess into the house. My grandmother, she lived right next to us growing up. And uh, there was a bunch of boys that lived in my neighborhood, down my road, down my street. And so uh, we had all this land behind us, creek you know, woods, ridge, field, I mean, this whole big deal. And so in the summertime especially, we would get up, as soon as the sun came up, as soon as we could get outside, we would be outside and we'd stay out until, you know, until the sun went down. And we'd be out there and we would play and we'd run and ride bikes and just get dirty and messy and muddy and all of this stuff, right? And so somewhere around midday, we would always go down to my grandmother's house because my grandmother, I don't know what happened, I don't know how this worked, but it felt like that she had stock in Coca-Cola or something because like she always had like Cokes in her house, right? And so we didn't drink a lot of Cokes at my house, but my grandmother had them, so we'd drink them at her house, you know, because grandma let us get away with some things. And so like anyway, we would go down to her house and, and midday or so we'd go down there and, and I'd walk into her house and I'd walk into her house and I'd say, Mama, can we get some Cokes? And I can't tell you how many times my grandmother would say this to me. She'd look at me, and she'd look me up and down and see how dirty I was, still have my shoes on. And she'd look at me, and she'd say, you turn around walk right back out of this house. Don't you bring that mess up in my house, right? And so she'd make me turn. Anybody else? Like she'd, make me, she'd make me walk right back out, take my shoes off. And she, we had, there was a, a well house. Y'all don't know anything about that. But she had this well house with well water 
out there beside her house. We'd have to go out there and get the water hose and like spray off and all that stuff and like, you know, wash up a little bit before. And like nobody else was coming. It was just me. And I was like, it was too much work, right? I was like, would you just bring me a Coke outside? But anyway, like, you know, now we just go, I'm going to text grandma and ask her to bring me. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> don't do that. Get up and go get one. Anyway, all right, so like we, so so I'd walk in and she'd say, don't, don't bring that mess up into my house. And he'd turn around and walk back out. And see, here's, I think this is true for a lot of us. Is that some way, somewhere, somehow, in some time, for some of you, the church has communicated that message to you. Is that you don't need to bring that mess up into that house. That you don't bring the mess up into this house. And so you went and you did that and you brought the mess up into the house and they said, whoa, 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 what are you doing? <laughs> like, this is, this is church. This is God's house. And you don't bring that mess up into our house. And maybe they didn't tell you that specifically, but that's exactly what they communicated to you. Is that when you brought the mess up into the house... All of a sudden, you look like you had a third arm growing out of your head. And I know this is Oak Ridge, but that ain't normal. All right? So, like, <laughs> but I've often wondered if fish can have three eyes. Why? Yeah, I mean, anyway, so, all right, so, like, but they just said, you know what, don't, don't bring that mess up in our house. Or, or it kind of worked like this. They said, hey, it's okay for you to bring the mess up into this house, but you bring it on Tuesday night. Don't bring it on Sunday, 10 o'clock, you bring it on Tuesday night or Wednesday night or, you know, we got a ministry for that. That's where you bring your mess. Jesus, Jesus had some really harsh words for things like that. And again, I'll, I'll say it again, the Bible is really cool. We should read it. Because um, Jesus, Jesus says some things that I think would make a lot of us, like, just drop our mouths open. Matthew 23, verse 27. Jesus is having this really, really frank, honest discussion with these religious leaders, these pastors. Listen to what he says to them. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He calls them hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. Do you hear what Jesus just said? He said, you try to act like you're holy. You try to act like you got it all together. You try to act like things are okay. But on the inside, you're filthy. And you're faking it. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Had a friend that I lived with in college, and in our apartment, we uh, uh, number one, we were dudes, so we were dirty. All right. So secondly, um, we just had. I remember we our like dishes just never got done in our house, and we were too dumb to like go and buy paper stuff, right? So that you just throw it away. So we had to wash dishes, and um, so we had. Uh, I remember coming. I was coming home one night, and I had some friends that were coming over later that evening. So I called them up, and I was like, "Hey." Uh, you're going to beat me home, so would you mind, like, doing the dishes and, like, taking care of all the dishes? And he was like, yeah, sure, I got that. So I, I get home, 
walk in, and the kitchen is clean. It's amazing. It's clean. I was, I was shocked, completely shocked. And so later that evening, I had some friends come by, and so I'm going to the kitchen, and, and, and I go in to get some cups to get some drinks, right? And I, I walk in, and I open up the cabinet to, to get some cups, and there are no cups, like nothing. There's no dishes, there's no cups, there's nothing up there. And so I'm like, what just happened here? And so like, I'm like opening all of the cabinets in the house, I'm looking in the dishwasher, like there's nothing anywhere. I can't find anything anywhere, right? And something tells me, you should like look below, Oh, okay, so like I, I open the cabinet below the sink, and all of a sudden, all of these dishes just come falling out, <laughs> like all over the floor, still dirty, right? <laughs> it's like, that's gross. Don't act like you hadn't done that before. So like, I mean, it's like, it's like dirty, right? And they're all over the place. You see, that's the same thing that Jesus is saying here. It's like, you're trying to hide it. But on the inside, it's messed up. On the inside, it's not together. And you're just trying to fake it until you make it. And it's not going, it's not going to work. Rick Warren, he's a, he's a pastor. You may have read, uh, read The uh, Purpose Driven Life. He, he wrote that great book. But uh, I love what he said once. He said, the church is meant to be a hospital for sinners and not a hotel for the saints. You see, we have to create space for where we realize our sin is a big deal and space for people to believe that it really is okay to not be okay because Jesus never intended our lives to be this way or his church to be that way. You see, the church, the church is an ER. It's not a resort. It's not a resort. Last but not least, look at this, Psalm 32, 7, at the end of what David says he says you are a hiding place for me in other words he's saying instead of hiding from you i'm going to hide in you instead of running away from you i'm going to run to you instead of trying to act like i'm not okay i'm not going to be okay but i'm going to be okay in you because i'm going to hide myself in you not away from you but in you and then he says you person you preserve me from trouble, and you surround me with shouts of deliverance. That word deliverance is, is just celebration, because he is celebrating his forgiveness and rescue. Paul echoes this in Romans 8, verse 1. And we see Paul do this, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. We see him do this in, in, in different ways, in different words, but it's never more clear than what he says in Romans 8, 1. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. It's really important. He says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're a believer here this morning, what Paul is saying to you is he, he is saying simply this. That weight that you feel on your shoulders, that weight that you feel around your neck, that, that thing that, that just holds you down, that holds you back, that makes you feel enslaved to something? Paul says, no, 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 no. You are free from that. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That also means this, is that you are free from guilt. You are free from shame. You are free from the fear of people's judgment in Christ Jesus. But then he goes on in verse 2. 
He says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you, what's the word? Free. I don't think y'all believe that. For the law of the spirit of life has set you what? Free. In Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. But do we believe that? Do you believe it? Do I believe it? Do we believe that? Would you pray with me? Father, God, we thank you for your word this morning. God, we thank you for the truth that that does, in fact, set us free. God, the truth that squashes lies. God, the truth that reminds us that in you we are free of guilt and shame and condemnation. God, in you that it's okay for us to not be okay. And that we don't have to hide it, we don't have to fake it. Because if we will confess it, God, that's when healing begins. That's when healing begins. Church, we want you to, we want you to know this. We, we, know that, we know that our sin, my sin, my sin, I'll just make it personal for myself. I know this to be true about myself, that my sin is a big deal. My sin is a big deal. And here's how I know that my sin is a big deal. Because Jesus had to die for my sin. That's how big of a deal it was. That he had to die for your sin. If sin wasn't a big deal, if our disobedience toward him, if our straight-up rebellion toward him was not a big deal, then there would have been no need for the cross. There would be no need for Jesus to even be amongst us, to have to come and live with us in flesh. And even though our sin makes us not okay, there, this is a place where it's okay for you to not be okay in him we have to stop hiding behind the fear of these things and hide in Jesus as you sit and pray and I just want you to sit there for just a moment your eyes closed your head bowed if you want however you choose to, to be there but to, to think for just a moment do you, number one If you're not a believer here this morning, you've never given your life to Christ. Your whole life has been defined by running from Him instead of running to Him. Then maybe right now is your moment that you stop running and stop hiding. That you run to Him instead of from Him. That you just simply pray, God, save me. Save me. There's no magical prayer that I can give you to tell you to repeat after me it's you praying to God it's not me praying to God for you it's you praying to God for you maybe for the first time maybe for the first time in a long time but just to say God save me others of you you're, you're believers here this morning and but you're not okay you're tired of faking it you're, try, you're tired of hiding it It's okay for you to not be okay. And maybe it is a big deal. It's a big deal to you, and so that that makes it a big deal.
believe the words of Paul when he said that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life has set you free from the spirit of death. You are set free. So now is the moment that as we pray together that, that we lay those things that we struggle with, the things that we are um, hurting from, the places where we are not okay, that we lay it at his feet. Instead of hiding it from him, we lay it at his feet. Father, give us the courage to do that. Give us the courage to, to lay our struggles at your feet and to walk in freedom. It's in your name we pray. Amen.